And I'll be reading beginning verse 14, 12th chapter of the book of Romans. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, if possible. So far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heat burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to talk to you tonight about how to treat your enemy. Now, I was working on this sermon, and it started working on me. As a matter of fact, there's blood all over my office in there when, as I worked on this sermon, it worked on me. How do you treat your enemy? It was attributed to Will Rogers, this statement, I never met a man I didn't like. I saw a bumper sticker one day that said, Will Rogers never met Barry Switzer. (laughs) Will Rogers, you might fill in the blank, Will Rogers never met my boss or he never met my ex-spouse. Your enemy may be hard to identify, but he's probably or she's probably the person you think about when you're at leisure. It's who you focus on when you wish you didn't. There's an old English couplet that says, one who has a thousand friends has not a friend to spare. And he who has one enemy takes him with him everywhere. He's the person or she's the person you want to stay away from, you'd like to avoid, and you keep running into everywhere you go. Isn't that right? Some of you smile because you know what I'm talking about. Everywhere you turn, there's that person you'd like to avoid. It may be a farmer mate or a friend who has betrayed you or some fellow employee. You wish you could quit thinking about them and just kind of get them out of your life, but you can't. They're your enemy, and you take them with you everywhere you go. Now, I want to say up front that apart from a vital relationship with Jesus Christ, what he is about to tell us about our enemy cannot be accomplished, cannot be done. Apart from a vital relationship with Jesus Christ, you can't love your enemy, and you can't bless those who curse you and you can't keep from wanting to get revenge. Apart from a vital relationship with Christ, this is not possible. 
And so that's why we have to keep going back to the first verse of chapter 12, the pivotal verse of this entire book, as a matter of fact. And it begins, the verse, the chapter begins with consecration. It means that you have to come and place your life at God's disposal. And you ask God, you tell God, this life I have is at your disposal. This, I reserve this for you. You do whatever you want to in my life. And when you place your life at God's disposal, he begins this inner transformation. For, so there's consecration and there's transformation and that inner transformation results in a proper evaluation. You remember, we've been over this before. And this evaluation, this proper evaluation is on the basis of, of my purpose in life. And we discover the amazing thing that the thing that gives us purpose in life is that God has a vital place for us in His plan. And that vital place for us, our purpose in life, is to minister and to help and to love other people. And so it begins with consecration and it results in transformation, which means that I live my life for others, and that's the only way this can ever be accomplished. Now, if you're taking notes, there's some basic facts I want us to get. One basic fact is that this passage is personal and not national. Now, let me explain what I mean. It has nothing to do with how one nation responds to another nation. Just before I came in here tonight, I was watching with some of the guys up in the TV room, 60 Minutes, and it was a, it was a um, you know, they were dealing with the problems in the Middle East right now, and these are critical problems, and cr this is a critical time in our nation. Now, this passage has nothing to do with a nation's conflict with another nation. And it's not a place where a person can come and find a proof text for a, being a conscientious objector. It's not something that would promote uh, passivity where a person can say, well, now the Bible says that you're not to retaliate, so we must not ever go to war. There is a place for war in the theology of God, and there is a place where a nation is to defend itself in the basic rights of freedom and liberty. What this is talking about is not something national. It is, it's talking about an individual's responsibility or an individual's relationship with another individual. It's personal and not national. Secondly, this passage deals with something that is attainable and not idealistic. Now, when we read something like this, bless those who persecute you and, and do all this kind of stuff, you know what we think? That's just not in the realm of possibility for me. I mean, that's just not me. I can't do that. That's like this pas these passages that talk about be perfect as, as I am perfect. God saying be perfect as I am perfect. That's not attainable. It's an idealistic goal that we should strive for, but it's not reachable. That's not true in this case. This passage does not deal with some idealistic dream that a person is to strive for knowing that he will never attain. This is attainable. Now, what do you do about your enemy, providing you have one? And if you don't have one, well, see me after church. I've got some extra ones. I'll, I'll let you have a couple. Now, 
Some initial insight. Look at verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and curse not. I want to try to give you some of the most practical stuff that you can get today. What do you do? Initial insight. Number one. You counteract your natural human instinct. That's the first thing. You counteract your natural human instinct. Now, we all have natural instincts. When something comes toward your face, the natural instinct is to duck or to blink. You don't have to think about that. You just do it naturally. If you stump your toe and you start to stumble, the natural instinct is that you're going to put out your hands. Those are just natural instincts. There are some natural inner instincts as well. And the natural inner instinct when somebody jabs you is to jab back. And the natural human instinct when somebody curses you to curse back. And the natural inner instinct is when somebody does an injustice to you is to wait for the opportunity to get revenge. That's the natural human inner instinct. And what Paul is saying is this. Now, if you've placed your life at the disposal of God and you have a vital relationship with Jesus Christ, you have the resource to counteract that natural human instinct. And this is the unnatural, in, uh, unique, supernatural response to bless those who persecute you. Now, the word bless there is an interesting word. It's the word eulogetes, and it means to speak well of. We get our word eulogy from the word. Now, watch this. When somebody says something about me, my natural instinct is to reply in kind. The unnatural, supernatural instinct should be to speak well of them. Now, I never go, I'm not, you're, going not, you're not going to hear me say tonight, this is easy. I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to try to come up front and, 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 and imply that it is. It is not easy. But it is attainable. And you speak well of them, he says. You, 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 when somebody criticizes you, you speak well of them. When somebody does an injustice, you bless them. And when you get over to the book of Ephesians, the first chapter, the Bible says that we're to bless God. It's the same word. Now what Paul is saying in essence is this, that you have a duty to praise God and you have the same duty to praise your enemy, believe it or not. All right, so the initial insight is to counteract your natural human instincts. Second, personal insight is verses 15 and 16. I want to read those again. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. If you've got a pencil, just underline that statement. Be of the same mind one toward another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. So the next, second thing, personal insight, is, to, is this. To put yourself in your enemy's place. Now, it gets harder. Where is he coming from? Now, if your enemy is a lost person, you already know that that lost person doesn't have the Holy Spirit. And he has no divine insight, and he can't control his tongue. 
and he's riddled with guilt. That's the characteristic of a lost person. You can, you can kind of put yourself in his shoes. If he is a carnal Christian, your enemy, he has the same characteristic as a lost person. The Bible teaches that plainly. And there's just one other kind, and that's a spiritual Christian. And if he's a spiritual Christian, you better listen to him because he's telling you the truth. So you try to put yourself in that other person's place. That's what the phrase means when it says, be of the same mind. He doesn't say you're supposed to think like your enemy. He's saying that you need to try to put yourself in the place of your enemy to understand why, where he's coming from. Don't be haughty, he says. Some of the best lessons you'll ever learn about yourself will come from your enemy. Try to put yourself in your shoes, for if you don't, you'll be defensive of your rights. I heard a guy tell him an interesting thing. He said that he went on a weekend uh, religious retreat, and these people had this weekend of Bible study and, and, and in, a, in a large hotel in a big city. And he said they, they got this special arrangement and they got this meeting room for free and they met in this hotel and they met in this meeting room and they found out that across the street the food was better and cheaper. So he said they, they went to their meetings in this meeting room in this hotel and they all went across the street to eat in another hotel. And he said one day this guy came in, the, the manager of the hotel, he was just furious. He said, I made this room available to you people and you go across the street to eat and just really worked them over. And he said, I expected the guy who was in charge of the retreat just to, you know, be defensive. He, he said, when he finished, the guy said, you know, you're exactly right. You just pointed out a blind spot in me I'd never realized. You're right. And he said, I want to apologize to you right here in front of these people. And he said, you just, you know, just, just be, be assured that we'll take the rest of our meals in this hotel. He said the guy was totally disarmed. Never had anybody respond like that. All right, number three is a relational insight. Now look at verses 17 and 18. Look at it with me. Never, and that's the most important word in that verse. Look at that, never. Can you underline that and put a little asterisk by it? Never pay back evil for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Now I need you to understand what that word respect means. It means, in the, it's a Greek word that means to foresee, to take thought of, or to have regard for. To foresee, to take thought of, or to have regard for. So he says, never repay evil for evil, but have regard for that which is right. Now, what do we focus on when we have an enemy? Let me tell you what we focus on. We focus on the action of the enemy. That's what we think about. Do you know what that person did or said? And what we focus on and we analyze is the behavior of our enemy. And, and it's wrong, you know. I mean, it's evil. He's assuming that the... the, the, the uh, Action of the enemy is evil. What we focus on is the wrong that the enemy does. Now Paul says what we must do is to no longer focus on the wrong the enemy does, 
but upon the right you should do. So that leads us to the third insight, which is look for your enemy's good and support it. Might be hard to find. You might have to give a, get a magnifying glass. <laughs> but you, you, you focus on the enemy's good and support it. You focus on what is right. Now, he says, look at it in verse um, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you. You know what he's saying there? He's saying it's not always going to work. You can focus on the right thing to do and do it. And you can find the good that is in your enemy and support it. And not change a thing. You know, it might not work. But after all, the Holy Spirit came into your life not to change your neighbor. The Holy Spirit came into your life not to change your spouse. The Holy Spirit came into your life to change you. So that you focus on what the Holy Spirit wants you to do with regard to the right and as far as it is possible for you be at peace. All right, fourth is what I would call a vertical insight. Look at verse 19. Never, there's that word again, never under any circumstance, never for any reason take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. Now, we, some of you um, don't have to take my word for it because you don't have your Bible. But do you, do, does your Bible, does the phrase of God, is it not in italics? It is, isn't it? Now, you know that when you see something that's in italics, that in the original Greek manuscript, that was not present and it was added for meaning. So that when the translators came and read the Greek manuscript, translated into English or into um, German or whatever, they added that phrase for meaning. Now, it may just be that that phrase was never intended to be there. Now watch this. He might be saying, leave room for the wrath of your enemy. See? Leave room for the wrath. You know what that means? It means that you and I have a responsibility to allow the enemy his wrath. I want you to take your Bible. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 16. Now do it. Don't just... Um, let your neighbor do it and kind of peek over there. Mm, yeah, I see it. I want you to turn to 2 Samuel chapter 16 and the verse beginning is 5. Interesting, interesting verse. Just put, a, put your place there, keep your place in Romans and we'll look at verse 5 of chapter 16, 2 Samuel. Well, let me give you the background here. 
David's own son, Absalom, has dethroned his father in rebellion and he's, he's suffering the grief, grief of a son who's turned against his own father and knocked him from the throne. And David's kind of, you know, he is deposed and he's broken hearted, of course, as a father would. And he comes back to town and look at this. He says, when David, King David, came to Bahurim, behold, there came out from there a man of the family of the house of Saul, whose name was Shimei, the son of Gera. He came out cursing continually as he came. Now here's a father whose son has turned against him and taken away his throne, and he comes back to town, and this guy comes out and cusses him out. I'm sure he was glad to get that news. He said, and he threw stones at David and at all the servants of the king of King David, and all the people, um, all, all the people and all the mighty men were at his right hand and at his left. He had all these bodyguards, and this guy's cussing him out and throwing stones at him. And thus Shimei, Shimei said when he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of bloodshed and worthless fellow. The Lord has returned upon you all the bloodshed of the house of Saul. You're getting what you deserve, you low life, is the Tidwell paraphrase, in whose place you have reigned. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hand of your son Absalom. And behold, you are taken in your own evil, for you're a man of bloodshed. I mean, he's working him over. Now David has a bodyguard by the name of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, and he said to the king, why don't you just let me go out there and I'll cut that guy's head off. Now, that'd be kind of the normal response, wouldn't it? That guy's cussing you out, throwing stones at you, and you got all these mighty men, you gonna take that? You just say the word, and I'll bring his head back and give it to you on a silver platter. And I have just to have a feeling that David, who is just a whole lot like the rest of us, was thinking to himself, mm, would I not like that? Now, I'm going to tell you how the rest of the story goes. It's going to shock you. He said, No, you let him alone. For if God has told him to say what he has said, then I need to hear it. And if he didn't tell him to say what he said, God will take care of himself. You don't have to take revenge. Now you say, well, why isn't it that God isn't taking out some revenge on some of my enemies? Well, it's because you and I have been so busy trying to do it ourselves. All right, one, did I give you the insight on that? Leave the revenge with God. Come to the last practical insight, verse 20. Here's a kicker. Be sensitive to the needs of your enemy and meet them. Look at verse 20. Is that amazing or what? Verse 20 of chapter 12, we're back in Romans. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. If he's thirsty, give him a drink of water. We'll do that, but we'll spit in it first. 
And he said, when you, when you give him a drink and he's thirsty, and you give him food when he's hungry, what you do is that you bring to him an overwhelming sense of guilt. Listen to me, young people. The only way to destroy an enemy is to make him your friend. And the way you make him your friend is that you meet his need when he has a need. Now the application I call foundational formulas from verse 21. What not to do, do not be overcome by evil. Love is always victorious. Be overcome with love. For God will honor a response of love. Now I'm not talking about national defense. I'm talking about horizontal relationships. God will honor a response of love. What do you do? You conquer your enemy with love. Now I want you to turn to one last passage and I'm going to read it through and it'll be enough. It's all that we need to hear tonight. It's 1 Peter chapter 2 beginning at verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 19. For this finds favor. This is, this is what impresses God, he says. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a man bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and you're harshly treated, you endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this is what finds favor with God or gives credit, gets credit with God. Now, he's going to give us an example, an illustration. He says, for you have been called for this purpose. For what purpose? To bear up in love when you're unjustly treated. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept trusting himself to him who will do, who will get his own revenge, who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross that, he might die to, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness for by his wounds you were healed. That is, what do you do with an enemy? You conquer him with the same kind of love that conquered you. The love that Jesus has. Let's pray. Father, 
We pray now that these words will not just be words from a book, but from the living God to the human heart. For I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now there are three invitations tonight. An invitation for you to accept Christ as your personal Savior. An invitation for you to come and join this church. An invitation for you to recommit your life to Christ. Publicly confess sin against the church. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come on the first word. <laughs>